I uh, loved hearing that story read. I, it's a passage that I love to read. It's going to be my favourite story in the Bible, but it's such a raw story in so many ways. And uh, there's no way I can't cover all of everything that happens in that chapter. Uh, there's so much going on, but well, hopefully we'll, we'll uh, look at uh, aspects of the chapter and the, the encounter that Jacob has uh, as he's met by the living God in this chapter. Um, I want to think a little bit, just as we start, about Jacob uh, and who he is. But first of all, I, uh, just something I came across this week. I, uh, I don't watch a lot of television, but I started watching this programme. And uh, it's about, I suppose it's about politics in the US. It's got Kevin Spacey in it, and he's a congressman uh, in Washington. It's all based in Washington, and it's about power. Uh, He's a congressman who wants to be more than a congressman. And the entire show is based around his character and his wife and the way that they work together to manipulate almost everybody they come across for their own ends and to their own purposes. So it's about power and uh, it's about prestige. But I was thinking that his entire life, the character, the main character of this program, almost every relationship he has is twisted by intrigue of some sort. He's using somebody or he's being used by somebody, or he's thinking about using somebody in order to get to somebody else. All because he wants to get somewhere. And uh, he's got a plan. So, uh, I just think that, that must be a terrifying situation to be in. As a human being. He's constantly watching his back. All the people he's crossed, he's constantly thinking about the people he will cross. That must, be a, that must be an awful situation to be in. Now, I'm not going to make a direct parallel with Jacob. But Jacob would have known something of that sense of looking over your shoulder. Uh, who is Jacob? We know Jacob well. Probably most of us. Jacob's a key character in the Old Testament. He was one of the fathers. Um, and we hear often the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But who was he and what was he like? He was, uh, as well as being a patriarchal figure, he was somebody who had been a manipulator. Uh, his name really bears reference to that. And uh, he was somebody, you might describe him as a tricky customer. Think back into his life. He'd been promised a blessing but he'd taken it in an inappropriate way. He'd deceived his father. He'd uh, taken from his brother. Uh, he'd spent time with his uncle in chapter 30. We read particularly about how uh, he had intrigue and uh, crossings in the life with his uncle. Things weren't straightforward there. Actually, his uncle's not exactly uh, straightforward with him either. So there's all different kinds of complexities going in, going on in the relationships that, that uh, we find when we read through all these different chapters leading up to where we're at here. It's uh, Jacob has, has had to kind of manipulate things uh, to get to where he sees he wants to go to. And so he also has that sense of previous with people. Uh, 
I don't know if you know that feeling tonight. There are people that you'd rather avoid. Maybe you can think back to a time where you had a relationship with that. And you'd cross the road rather than confront somebody or the issue that you had with somebody. That's something of the experience of Jacob. But Jacob also has previous, if you like, with God. This chapter that we come across here describes in the latter half, in the latter section that we're going to look at a very raw, vivid description of the encounter he has with God. But it's not the first time he's met with God. And it's not the only experience he has of him. He's received promises from God, particularly if you flip back to chapter 28. And uh, another amazing and slightly also mysterious encounter he has with God in chapter 28 as well. I'm not going to spend a lot of time at all looking at this, but from verse 10 onwards you'll see that this is entitled Jacob's Dream of Bethel. And Jacob is going on his way where he is uh, a, a receiver of, if you like, a message, a communication from God. God breaks into his life to speak to him and to convey particular information. And what he wants to convey to Jacob is the promise, the covenant promise that he will make with him. And so Jacob is in the line of those who are of God's people, who are his covenant people, and God works through him, believe it or not, in a very specific way. He uh, promises, I'll just read a verse from verse 13, he sees this stairway to heaven and it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So Jacob has had this experience with God. God has broken into his life and he's promised him something. Now, the interesting thing about that is, if you were to ask the question, is Jacob a worthy receiver of a promise like that from God? You'd have to say, well, not really. I mean, what had Jacob ever done to deserve a promise, let alone God dealing with him in such a gracious and a personal way? Nevertheless, this has been Jacob's experience. And uh, as the story has gone on, and as uh, things in many ways have become more complex, we now meet him uh, on the way to another encounter. He's on the way to meet his brother. He's going home, and he's got to meet Esau, his brother. So, uh, one person I was reading was describing... His situation is like, if you think about Jacob's past, it was full of those kind of relationships that you'd cross the road to avoid. Just the intrigue and the complexity and the uncomfort, that's a word, of uh, these relationships that Jacob had. So that's his past. And his present was a present experience of fear. What a fearful time that Jacob was in as we come into this chapter. If you pick that up from when we were reading through, when David read through the chapter, he sends to Esau a message, and he receives back a message that Esau's coming with 400 men. Now, that's it. That's all he knows. 400 men are coming first. And uh, he thinks, this isn't good news. He's a fearful man. 
and uh, he has this problem. And the future is uncertain. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He has these promises from God which he remembers, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. So this moment in his life is a pretty sharp one. It's one he would have remembered. It's one that would have really stuck in the memory for him. Pretty dramatic time for Jacob. And as we come into the chapter and uh, uh, lead up to really verse 22, uh, I want to just ask, uh, or see rather, that what happens with Jacob is that he faces a time of reckoning. He has to confront some of the issues, some of the things from the past, and some of the situations uh, that really he's uh, been involved in creating. There's a time of reckoning for Jacob. What does Jacob do as we come uh, further on in this chapter, as he prepares to meet his brother? How does he deal with it? He deals with it in a couple of ways. And uh, if you look at verse uh, chapter 32, verse 7, the first thing he does is he organizes. Let me just read verse 7. Remember, he's heard the news, and uh, it says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. Why? Well, he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So that seems sensible, doesn't it? He's thinking practically in the middle of his fear. And that's actually in character. Jacob, we mentioned he was a bit of a manipulator, a bit of a schemer. Well, he's a strategic thinker. He's got this problematic situation facing him. And so he acts accordingly. He divides his family, if you like, his, his people into two camps. And uh, that's the first thing that he does. But he's scared, isn't he? Because he thinks Esau's going to attack. So if one gets done, the other might get away. So he organises. He also, though, he also prays. Look at verse 9. We have this little sort of semi-extended passage here. Actually, a really beautiful prayer. Uh, and it's a prayer which is in keeping with the covenant relationship that he has, that God has made with him. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me. So he recognizes that God has come into his life, broken into his life, and has made this promise with him. And so he is responding. He's going to that God, and he's praying to him. And he recognizes the, the fact that when he had been on the outward journey, as it were, he says, I had only my staff, but now I have much more. And he recognizes, the, in some ways, the blessing that he's had. And then he cries out to God. Now, this is the one who's been a schemer, and he's used his own skills and his own guile to create certain situations for himself. And now he's at the point where he needs to say, in verse 11, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me. Also, the mothers with their children. But then he says, again, in keeping with the covenant promise that God has said, But you have said, I will surely make you prosper. 
So in other words, he's going to the gods who promised with him and who covenanted with him, and he's saying, Lord, remember your promise. Uh, you, pr- you promised that to me, and I am now in great need. And I'm afraid, and I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't see how this is going to turn out. I can't worm my way out of this situation. He organizes and he prays. Uh, that It's quite um, telling, this little phrase in verse 10, what he says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown yourself. What he's really saying there, the, the, the word kind of refers to, when he says, I'm unworthy, he's really saying, I'm small, or I'm unable uh, to deal with this by myself. He's saying, help. He's saying, God, I need your help. He also, though, and it's interesting the different sides we see, isn't it, of his character, the different levels at which he operates in this chapter. He also, uh, as a, he kind of creates a buffer zone, because he's still scared against his brother. Uh, and he sends a gift to him. He comes behind the gifts, you'll notice. And what he really wants to happen is for Esau to receive the gifts and for his anger to be appeased. So that as Esau receives these gifts which are coming ahead of him, uh, he'll calm down. And so that by the time Jacob gets to him, he'll be in a better mood. He'll be more uh, willing to receive his brother. That's what he thinks. And that's what he's hoping for. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Remember I said this is a time of reckoning. He's giving these gifts ahead of himself back to the one who, in a sense, he took from. Uh, And uh, he says in verse 20, he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I am sending on ahead. So in many ways, things have come round for Jacob. They've come round it. He's having this time of reckoning. He's having to deal with the situation. And in between, we have this sense of his own uh, desire to, to work things, coupled with this cry to God for help, and this prayer to God. So it's a time of reckoning for him. Before, though, he meets Esau, we have this incredible dramatic incident where all alone God comes and meets with him again and uh, he wrestles there is this wrestling between God and him and uh, it's a well known story in many ways Uh, I think lots of people today maybe who even aren't Christians or who don't come to church would have heard the whole thing about wrestling with God or Jacob and the angel of the Lord maybe I'm being optimistic But just to pull out a few things from this dramatic encounter, things that we can see going on in this story, and then things I hope that we can learn. See, first of all, in uh, verse 24, he sent his family and his possessions across the forest. And it says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. He's on his own. Now, if you go back to chapter 28, to the passage that we uh, referenced briefly, where he receives the dream, he's on his own, and he's travelling. 
Uh, so this isn't the first time that Jacob has met with God. But it's another instance where the Lord has dealings with Jacob. And he will meet with him. And he, he comes to him. Where Jacob can't get away. And he can't bring anybody else on board. He's on his own. In the middle of nowhere. And he has to face up to God. So that's the first thing. It's a personal one-on-one encounter that he will go through. The second thing is, uh, in this incredible story where we read that uh, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. We don't immediately get the sense, it's not revealed in the text who this is, and as the passage gradually unfolds, Jacob and us as readers begin to see who exactly this is who's wrestling with him. And uh, we come to see uh, that it's the Lord who's come and intervened in his life in this incredible way. There are two ways in which Jacob experiences this. As he meets Jacob, uh, maybe we'll come back to this, but into the chapter 33, there's a, a time where as he meets Esau, uh, it says that Esau embraced him. But first of all, he has this embrace, if you like, with God. An embrace for this wrestling, this, this uh, violent encounter between the two of them. That is quite extensive, and that isn't over in a flash. And uh, in many ways it seems incredibly that Jacob prevails it. Says that the man couldn't overcome him. But as uh, we go through this passage, what does happen to Jacob is he's changed because his name is changed. The second thing I just wanted to notice in this wee bit here Jacob, remember I said that his name, Jacob, had a lot to do with his character, as is often the case in the Bible. So Jacob's name had uh, a reference to the fact that he was the supplanter, he was the one who was like the grasper he took. But the, the man who's wrestling with him asks him a question, doesn't he? In verse 29. Uh, well, in verse 29, Jacob says, please tell me your name. Um, sorry, verse 28, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men and have overcome. Now, the man who's wrestling with him had asked him, what is your name? And Jacob had had to reply, Jacob. And as he does that, as he does that, we think back also to the time where he was asked by his father. When he went into his father and he dressed himself up to be like his brother, and his father says to him, What is your who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. And he deceives his father. And now, as he's face to face with this one who he can't quite overpower. And he can't quite, and he's beginning to comprehend who it is. The man says to him, what is your name? Who are you? And he has to say, I am Jacob. And as he says that, he's saying, I am the one who took from my brother, who deceived my father. I'm the one who's the deceiver. He's had his time of reckoning. He's been forced to come to terms with his nature and his character. In this so personal encounter with God. 
But yet we see the way that God deals mercifully with him. And so his name, as I said, has changed. And he, uh, in, as we come to the end of their encounter, he says to him, uh, your name will now be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. He is the one who will now be known as someone who has wrestled with God. He's someone who has had uh, dealings with men and he's overcome. And he's wrestled with the Lord. And uh, this is to be a central aspect of who he is now. Jacob is the one who has had a renewed experience of the power and the presence of God, the Lord. And it changes him. It doesn't, it doesn't completely change him so that he comes out of here a completely different man, honest in all his dealings. Because uh, even in the next chapter when he meets his brother... Uh, he's still not completely straight with him. But yet, Jacob is a changed man after this encounter and after uh, this wrestle that he has with the Lord. Now, why is that? He says in verse 30 something very noticeable. After he's been told that his name will be changed, and after he's received the blessing that he craves from God, he then says in verse 30, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, as I said at the start, it's a really raw, a very visceral story there. It's a story about uh, two men in a gorge at night, grappling, and uh, a real wrestle going on. And uh, also at the core of this story is an encounter with uh, one man, Jacob, being changed by the living God. Coming to him and changing him in the way that he understood and the way that he knew God. He sees in the way that God has dealt with him, the grace and the mercy of God. Who, who should be able to stand before God, let alone grapple with God and live? Jacob knows it should be nobody. Jacob also knows, as he comes to realize his character, and as he comes to face up to all that he has done in his life, all the detritus of the past and the rubbish that he carried with him and the deceitfulness as he faced up to all of that and stood before and wrestled with this God there's no way he should have lived but yet he says I have seen God face to face and my life was spared because of the mercy and the grace of God that's a central core experience in his life, in his existence. I bet he hadn't expected that that would happen to him that evening. As he faced up to the situation that he had, who could have thought that that was the way? That was a very specific way that the Lord dealt with him in that particular encounter. But uh, as we take a story like this and we reflect on it, how do we, how do we take... Uh, an ancient, if you like, story about a particular incident in the life of one man and uh, apply it 
to ourselves. Well, that core central experience that he went through at that particular time showed us the way that God deals with men and women always. It shows us, once again, the way that God deals in mercy as he comes to people's lives. And mercy is uh, mercy and grace uh, is something that really comes out of this passage. It comes out, and I'm not going to go into this, but it comes out as he goes on from here. He meets his brother. Because surprisingly, what happens when he meets his brother? In chapter 33, verse 4, in an incident that in many ways prefigures one of the stories that Jesus would tell, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they went. So he's shown mercy by his brother. And uh, in many ways, one of the important things in his life is that that relationship, there is reconciliation. And uh, the relationship, to a, to a large degree, is restored between the brothers. But there's also mercy shown, of course, as we've already seen by God. God deals with Jacob uh, in an incredibly gracious way. And uh, that's something that we have to take out of this passage. God always deals with men and women mercifully. Because, again, what one of you or I could ever stand, if we were to stand on our own terms before God, God has always worked in human history uh, mercifully at a, at a big level. In the, if you think about the big picture of the way that he's worked to bring salvation, remember that we said that the prayer that Jacob made as he remembered the covenant that God had made with him, this is like the big picture. Had Jacob deserved God to come to him and promise him? Well, no. But God had dealt with him and dealt with his people mercifully. And he had promised to save a people for himself. And incredibly, Jacob was one who he chose to do that. And... Uh, so we see that at the big picture, but also at a very personal level. <coughs> a very personal level. Jacob, like I said before, this wasn't the first time Jacob had experienced God. This wasn't an out-of-the-blue revelation where he suddenly saw the Lord and was converted on the spot. But this was another instance where the Lord came into his life and, if you like, moved him on. He met with him again and he changed him. And he caused Jacob to be face to face with him. I'll put it any more bluntly than that. Really. That experience Jacob had of being face to face, of being right in front of the presence of God, uh, that was uh, something to move him on in his personal walk. And that's the way that the Lord deals with you and me. That is the, that's the gospel. That's the experience that every one of us has when we come face to face with our lives and uh, the messiness or the confusion or the fear or the current perplexity or mess of any relationships we may have and the sins that keep breaking in and following us and calling for us to follow them we have that experience where we know the forgiveness of God. 
Now, you know that as uh, if you are a Christian, somebody who has come face to face with the Lord and confessed Jesus as your Saviour. But it's not a once in a lifetime experience. It's not something you forget about. It certainly shouldn't be. And it is something that we need on an ongoing basis. So you and I can't go into uh, this week thinking we don't need to know the presence of God. Because we always do. What happens to Jacob in this encounter? Jacob has known God's presence. He's known the promises of God. But what does God cause him to experience again? Well, he's humbled. By the God who is over all things and who has a purpose and he's working, using Jacob for that purpose and he's the one who will rule over Jacob's life. Jacob is the one who is often manipulated in order to be in control of a situation and he he comes to the point where he's humble. Now, you and I need that. It's not for us and we can't think that we control every aspect of our life to suit ourselves, tempting as it sometimes seems. He experiences, as we've said, the unmerited grace of God. He didn't change, become a better person and then receive God's favour. The Lord was gracious to him. And uh, every time we know the Lord working in our lives, the Lord is gracious to us. And he knew also the presence of God. Uh, Let me just read. As Jacob moves on and as he returns home, I'm just going to read a verse from further on. And it it really speaks of Jacob's ongoing learning of of God and uh, of who his God was so Jacob in chapter 35 so Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes then come let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who's been with me wherever I have gone and uh, so there we have something of the way in which he had learned of the faithfulness and the presence of God in his life. Now, uh, one more illustration. Footballing illustration, if I may. I read uh, a quote this week from Louis van Gaal, the Manchester United manager. <clears throat> he was angry. I think that's quite common to see judging by his character. He was angry because uh, the, the footballers in England have to play three games in two days. When I was young, I used to love playing three games in two days, but obviously that doesn't suit him. Anyway, the particular reason he was angry wasn't just because he thought his players would be tired, but because he says, I have a specific way of preparing my players. They do such and such on one day, and then another thing on another day. And so he has a very defined formula. He says, I can't do that with my players if I've only got, what is it, one or two days to prepare them. They won't be ready. Now, when you and I think about not just the coming year, around this time we think about the new year, and not just the coming week, but the coming day, tomorrow, and the things that face us, and the challenges that we have, 
not least the challenge of our own hearts, where you and I are uh, tempted time and again to grow cold in our love for the Lord and in our knowledge of the Lord. The key thing that we need is this kind of encounter. Now again, this is a very specific encounter that Jacob experienced. But to be able to know the presence of the Lord, to be humble before him, and uh, to know his mercy, and to know his ongoing presence is what you and I need. And it's what we should pray for. And the Lord will work in different ways at different times uh, to meet with us. Um, but let's not be believers who have a distant and a cold walk with the Lord. Let's be believers who look forward to fresh experiences and encounters in maybe very mundane ways by reading the word of prayer and, and not speaking about anything supernatural uh, mystical here necessarily. People who know the ongoing presence of the Lord which helps them in their day-to-day life. And that's something that we can pray for and encourage each other to pray for and encourage each other in. Amen. Let me just uh, pray. Lord, we praise you for the honesty of the Bible and the way in which there are so many incredible stories. But the stories tell us that you don't stay away from fallen mankind. You come to men and women to reveal your purposes and to change them. To bring them to a knowledge of their need of you. To get them, like Jacob, to the point where they're really at the end of themselves. And uh, that, if we're believers, has been our experience where we know we can't save ourselves. And so we trust in you. And we pray also that we would have an ongoing knowledge of you in our lives. That we would meet with you regularly. And we pray that you would meet with us, Lord. And uh, that we wouldn't keep the Bible as a closed book on our shelves. And that we wouldn't deflect away from our prayer times. And uh, avoid any conversation with our Christian brothers and sisters where we might um, speak of you. Help us to love these times, Lord. And we pray that we wouldn't be church or churches who rely on just programs or anything external, but that we be churches full of people who know the living God and who love to know and to speak about the living God. We need you to do this, Lord, and to, to meet with us and to renew us and to refresh our souls. And we pray that we would know the gospel of Jesus Christ as, uh, as our ongoing salvation. The one who has saved us and the one who transforms us day by day uh, to become more like him. So be with us, Lord, and bless us. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that we can come into your presence and pray and sing to you. And thank you that even in so doing, Lord, you spare us and you're merciful towards us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.